Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here with episode 84 with Jolene Blackburn. Jolene is a mentoring enthusiast and has actually refused some promotions along the way to keep that going and serves as, quote, just a lawyer. But she's just a lawyer who's picked up some great tips along the way, which she generously shares with us. So you're going to learn, one, what you think you know about your job, but actually don't. Two, how not to add a task to your to-do list. And three, a drag and drop tip for collecting praise. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to things mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep84. And while you're over there, I'd recommend you check out some of the cool stuff. We've got a 10 days to winning at work email course that shares my best kind of tips and best practices for slashing through waste and accelerating your achievement of stuff on the job, as well as the gold nugget email list that summarizes uh, the key takeaways from uh, Jolene and the 83 guests that came before her and the many to come after her. So there's good stuff. Go take a gander. And here's a quick story about Jolene. Jolene has been an in-house attorney with a major insurance company for almost 10 years. She serves as a mentor to many new attorneys and helps prospective law students determine whether law school is right for them. And she also coaches a youth soccer team. Here's Jolene. Jolene, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, it's so fun. I'm so glad that you submitted through that little form when I was looking around for guests because we were just saying that you are kind of unique in that you just genuinely love mentoring folks and would like to talk about it as opposed to you have a mentorship program or book or something to promote, which is awesome. Yeah, I absolutely have always kind of had a mentoring bug and started, I think, back in elementary school, the more I thought about it. And it's just always followed along with me. I currently do it at work and I try to help as many people as I can. So when I saw your podcast, I absolutely thought this was a perfect match. Fun. Well, I'm glad to have you here. And so maybe if you could orient us first and foremost, kind of what is your background and where are you positioned in the world of work right now? So I am a lawyer. I'm a Los Angeles lawyer and I've been a lawyer for about 13 years I've been in my current field for about 10 years and with my current firm for about eight. And I've definitely worked my way you know, up the ranks at my own firm. And like I said, I've mentored a lot of people in my own firm. Okay. Well, so then tell us now, one thing that's interesting to position things, and we're going to be chatting with a professor at Pepperdine about this very topic a bit later. So you've been offered management positions a number of times and you've said, no, thanks. I want to be quote, just a lawyer. What's the backstory there? Yeah. And that's true. Actually, even before I became a lawyer that I've always just kind of want to stay a little bit out of that. First of all, I feel like I can do more when I'm not part of management. I feel like management often is tied to certain rules that, you know, of course there's always, you know, anti-harassment and that kind of thing, which everyone has to comply with. But I feel like as a lawyer, that's just outside of management that I can just, I guess, be a little more personal. And it's not like management is telling my coworker, you know, you need to be doing this. This is how you should be doing things. It's more a friend, you know, a comrade telling somebody, look, this is how I do things. It works very well. Uh, Management really appreciates it. You might want to try it. So I think it goes further. I think it's more appreciated. And likewise, even outside of the law, but 
especially with my current position. I like to do it that way. Mm -hmm. And so this is also kind of ties into that whole sort of love of mentorship piece is that if you were in management, it would alter this special dynamic that you really treasure. Exactly. Management definitely has their own, you know, they have to watch over everybody. They've got their own agenda. And as just a worker, when I'm doing a good job, I can share that good job. I can share that praise that I'm getting with other people and say, okay, if you want to be in the same kind of limelight or the same position as me, you know, you got to work your way up and here's how you do it. And here's how you can do your job more effectively, more efficiently, or at least that's how I have been able to make my job more efficient and effective. And I try to help people, you know, kind of reach where I'm at. And, you know, everybody's a little bit different and not all work styles are the same. But if I give them one way to succeed, they at least have a path they could follow. Okay. Well, so if mentorship is indeed your thing, your jam, your specialty, I'd love it if you could just sort of open it up for us. What are some of the maybe key nuggets of advice you find yourself saying again and again, and you find others receiving with a transformative gusto? Well, I think there's three kind of key areas that it's so simple in some ways that people don't really see it. So the first step or level that I recommend for people, and it might sound almost condescending, is to know your job. I mean, it just sounds so simple, but a lot of people, they go into places and whether there's training or not, they feel like they have to figure everything out and they have to maybe just kind of bulldoze ahead. They don't really stop to maybe ask questions. They're afraid of how questions would be perceived. And then they do a couple of things wrong with that. One is they probably make more mistakes than they need to and thereby also take longer to learn things than they need to. But they also don't get to know their coworkers very well. And if they're asking questions, especially in the beginning, people expect questions. If you take time to ask each person a different question, you have a million questions and you just go from person to person, you find out who's personable, who doesn't like to be bothered. You get to know what they know and you know, just what they're like. And by that route, you are really placing yourself in that company. You're really learning when you do have a real problem, who you can go to, who you shouldn't bother. And you get to know the atmosphere really well. So it just really secures your place in the company. And it also makes sure you're doing your job right. (laughs) And even for people with experience in their field, when you change companies, when you change law firms, everyone does something different you need to know how your new company handles different problems. And so you still need to be going person to person, asking for that advice and making sure you're doing your job correctly according to your company. And could you maybe open that up a bit when it comes to you know, know your job? That sounds like, yes, that is definitely something we should do. We should know, we should tackle. So what are some ways you see folks sort of fall down on this. It's like you'd think they would know their job, but in fact, there are some gaps because they're making some key missteps. What are those? Yeah. So some of the missteps I see is people, first of all, they don't attend training that may be provided. You know, it's presented perhaps as optional. Okay. And so they think I'm busy, you know, I'm still learning the ropes. I I don't have time for that. Or even, you know, I've been here a while. I don't need that. But what they don't realize is a lot of times that's really where you, again, not only learn more, but it's that key interaction with other people and you find out who knows what. I think that's really where people kind of fail to learn is you need to know who knows what. You know, if you're assigned some kind of mentor to kind of help you with your onboarding and that kind of thing, 
that person may not be the best person for you to communicate with. You may not have the same style and people start to feel stuck. They don't feel like they're fitting in. They feel like they have no one to go to when they do have questions. You really need to branch out and people don't do that very often. And so one way to do that is to attend different training sessions, things like that, meetings to find out what does that person know versus that person. And it really that way you get to know where the skills lie. And then that way, if you have a certain problem, you know who you can go to, who the best person would be to go to. Okay. So you're saying know your job is bigger than executing the task in front of you, but rather having a robust understanding of the whole kind of ecosystem of characters and players and what they know well, what they don't know well, who you should go to under what circumstances. And that is an essential thing to be developing along the way instead of passing up little training opportunities like, oh, no, I'm too busy for that. Absolutely. And what I find is, you know, having practiced for several years, I'm still learning. It's always, you know, a developing thing. And what I find is even just something as simple as, you know, making sure I say good morning to people and stopping by to know, you know, what they did that week. And even that, you, again, get to learn what the person's like. And sometimes you divert into work-related things. And again, you learn who you're going to go to for certain types of problems. It really can help you just accelerate your knowledge and obviously then your position eventually because you have the inside track on, well, this person has experience in this versus that person has experience in that. And even when people come to you for advice at some point, you don't know everything. There's nobody that knows everything. And so, for example, in my field, if there is a claim that involves the death of somebody, I can say, hey, I haven't dealt with that, but I know that Mike has, and you should go talk to Mike. And so just even knowing where to refer other people, people remember that, they appreciate that, and they know, hey, she knows who to refer me to. So she may not know everything, but then she can refer me out. She knows who knows what, and that's a skill in and of itself. That's the base level. That's the very first thing is know your job. Don't try to bulldoze your way through. Really do talk to other people. Mm-hmm. I would say the next thing that people kind of overlook is the importance of their relationship with the people below them, their assistant, maybe even the front desk person, anyone that is there to support your position is really key in you being good at your job. If you have a direct assistant, somebody like a secretary, again, building that relationship of, hi, how are you? What did you do this weekend? It, first of all, it creates the goodwill. The next thing you need to do is kind of figure out what they do. You know, if they're setting up appointments for you, when you set that task for them, what can you give them that makes that task easier and more efficient? If they're able to do their job more efficiently instead of going back and forth with you, they're going to appreciate it more. They're going to speak more highly of you. You know, she makes my job so easy. She helps me get more done. That makes her look good. And so you you know, in the secretarial pool, you're going to be praised. So then other secretaries are going to hear this and they're going to think, wow, I want to work with that person. They sound so easy to work with. They sound great. So again, that just makes you look good. And, you know, whatever the, your assistant's review standards are, if it's how many tasks they get done per day or, you know, how fast they work, if you're helping them accomplish that goal, they're going to remember that. They're going to go the extra mile for you. They may even, you know, sing your praises to management And while that may not be your manager, 
it's going to be known by the management team that you make your system's job better. So people, I think, often overlook the simplicity of just helping their assistant look good. So yeah, if you don't know what your assistant really does, I mean, spend some time. Oh, hey, how can I make your job easier? Hey, I, I gave you that task. Is there a way you prefer I do that in the future? Anything like that can really just go a long way towards your own development in your position, but also in the company because the company will really, you know, thank you for just making the company run smoother. Okay. Very good. Thank you. And so I guess speaking of this efficiency point, so you've done a lot of training with newer and experienced lawyers to help them boost their efficiency. So what are some of the key tips and tricks that you have shared that really make the difference for them? As far as working with the assistant and managing the efficiency on that level, clear and concise tasks with as much information as possible. You know, again, finding out what their job is. Going back to your own job, sometimes talking with other attorneys about their relationship with their assistant and how they work. I found that some attorneys, for example, they set every single task for their secretary to be for the next day. Well, it's not possible for your assistant to do everything within 24 hours. And for example, in my company, we have, it's all networked. So management can jump in at any time and look at your tasks and see how far behind you are. Well, if you have 20 tasks due, you know, every single day, you can't get to them all. So the secretary is going to start looking like they're behind. That doesn't make them look good. That's not going to make them happy with management. So when I discovered one attorney was doing that, I told them, you know, they can't do all that. So you need to give them different time frames. They might be able to mail a letter within 24 hours, but you know, if they have an ongoing project like setting an appointment that requires calling multiple people and it's going to take several days because not everyone's sitting at their desk, it's already going to be past due almost the moment she starts working on it. You need to give her you know, a week or two weeks to get that set. And if it's really urgent, then you need to also communicate that. But if it's just a typical set an appointment, you need to give her a further out deadline. Now that's interesting. So are you kind of working with a particular sort of like a task management or coordination application there in which it asks for a field, you know, do, and they just don't even think they just say now, or is it, they actually say, do this now, do this also now, do this also now, or how does that kind of get mixed up in the mix? Right. Yeah. We have an internal system that's created just for us and it is you know, you set it for, you know, whoever your assistant is and you can pick your due date and yes. Yeah, so, and then you just tell them what you need. So most of us who have been around a while, and especially those of us who were secretaries before we were lawyers and really understand what goes into these tasks, we'll give them 10 days is a typical amount of time. And they may not be able to accomplish it in that amount of time, but it's a fair amount of time. And then, like I said, things that are simpler, like just mailing something out, maybe a day or two. But it's there for everyone to see. And, you know, the managers do go in and check and see how are the secretaries doing? Are they doing enough tasks per day that they are actually working? And, you know, are they getting things done on time? And yeah, so I guess, you know, it is a little bit part of our training when we bring people on, but I think some people kind of miss it. And so they just aren't thinking and they just think, okay, well, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow. And no, 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 no. You really need to, you, and you're not creating that goodwill because your secretary's stressed, everything's due tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What's really a rush versus just you randomly pick tomorrow to be done. So you're saying if you're randomly picking a day, 
pick it 10 days out. Yeah. Give the person some time. You really need to figure out. And that's where people don't realize what is my secretary's job? They're not really thinking about it. So, you know, if you have to have a conversation with your secretary, talk to them, even if it's front desk and you're asking front desk to do stuff for you. You know, there's been times where I've called from outside the firm and I've asked the front desk, my secretary's not at her desk. I need to talk to somebody. You know, can you just hook me up with whoever's at their desk? You know, that takes a moment for them to find somebody. But, you know, if you don't really understand what the front desk does, I mean, they take lots of incoming calls and they've got to address all kinds of things and they're constantly under pressure. You don't want to just start a conversation with them. Hey, here's what I need. Can you look this up for me? Can you do this? The front desk is not your assistant. They've got a different job. They can't answer incoming calls if they're doing some research on the network for you. So, you know, it's a really a matter of understanding the world around you and understanding where to go when you have a problem. And everyone else is going to appreciate that. They are probably not going to complain too much. They might be afraid to complain too much, but they will note if you are considerate of them. Okay. So that's on the administrative and management side of things of lawyer productivity. What are some other best practices? I'm thinking in terms of, you know, being prolific, churning out those briefs and those motions and all the writing lawyers do, or what are some of your pro tips when it comes to thinking and communicating at a high velocity? So definitely you should always have a database of forms and whether it's forms that you've created in the past or your firm's forms. And anytime you start at a new firm or any company, again, where you have to write some type of, you know, proposal or something, you should always ask if they have a database. And if they don't, you should ask a coworker if they have some forms you can, you know, use as a template. So that's the first step. The second step with managing files is just to always make sure that every time you touch a file, that you are setting yourself a task for the future. So if I sent something out to the client, I don't just set a task, you know, did client respond or follow up with client. I set a thorough task of did client respond to email of, you know, March 3rd, 2016 regarding these two issues. And that way, I don't have to dig through the whole file. What was that email about? When did I send it? Which email am I talking about? It's all right there in one little task. And I may not remember exactly the details, but then I can just kind of go searching. Maybe my inbox is a little full. So, okay, look through my inbox. Do I have an email on this file regarding these two issues? Oh, that's so handy. Yeah, it's much more efficient. And especially because half the time the client will respond on one issue, but not the other. So then... If you didn't put what the subject was into your task, you think, oh, they did respond to that email and you mark it off. And for months, you don't realize that they didn't respond to the second issue. You know, you're just so busy, you just kind of move forward with the one thing. And so I make sure I ask these two questions. They only answered one. So then I'm going to respond, hey, what about that other one? And that's what I think slows a lot of people down is they don't efficiently set tasks for themselves for every little thing they do. Um, And I do that also for my secretary. If I tell my secretary to do something, you know, obtain these records from these three locations. Then I set a test for myself maybe a month later. Did the records come in from these three locations? And I can look, okay, one location came in. So we're still waiting for two more. So I erase the one, review them, do what I need to do with those records. But I still have a task for those two sets of records that I'm waiting for. And that's another thing that people really aren't efficient with is 
properly documenting what they've done and what the next step is. They just really have to relook at the file every single time they touch it. And that's not efficient. And it can lead to things falling through the cracks and just, you know, errors. So, you know, and everybody's system's a little bit different, whether it's through paper or electronic, within whatever your company system is, constantly set tasks, you know, follow up with this client regarding, you know, X, Y, and Z. And the more detailed you are, the more effective you're going to be. Mm, that's so handy. Once again, it's bringing me back to episode 15, David Allen of Getting Things Done fame. And it's like, if your to-do list just says mom, it's like you don't really know what that means. You have to go through the work of re-remembering or re-referencing things as opposed to call the ballroom dancing place about getting a gift certificate for her birthday. It's like, right. okay, that's what has to happen. And while you're at it, throw the phone number on it. And then if you have two minutes in a phone, you know, you can pull that off and get it done. So that's so good is that it's not just follow up with Rick, but it's like, right. make sure Rick sent the proposal or whatever that specific thing is so that you don't have to pull the paper up again or even do a search in your digital files. I'm finding that as I accumulate more and more files, the little finder function is not as zippy and dead on yes. as it was when this you know computer was a fresh spry empty hard drive. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, and for a lot of lawyers, you know, each company is slowly converting into paperless. And so it's a really difficult conversion because if you're used to flipping through your files through paper and you've got a diary system through that, or you just leave a top sheet in your file, you know, this is the next thing to do. It's pretty easy in that sense. But when you switch over to electronic, people feel like, everything's in there. It's just, where do I find everything? It's just kind of, it feels a little looser than on the right side of my file is this, on the left side of my file is that. I open up the file and there it is. There's tabs and it gets confusing. And so definitely learning how to keep an accurate task management or diary system is really key to converting into a more and more paperless world. It definitely is a difficult conversion for a lot of people. You know, and even the more technologically advanced people, just clicking to find those documents, like you said, the searching and stuff like that, it can be very difficult. So you try to avoid searching at all times. Just have one place where you go for your tasks and that could hopefully avoid you having to dig back through each file, each you know system and trying to find what's going on. Because, yeah, it's very difficult. Another one of those key levels is talking to your boss and making sure that you are doing what your boss wants you to do, which again, I I don't know, it sounds so simple to me, but a lot of people kind of miss out on that issue. It's they, I think that some people don't want to talk to their boss or they're afraid to maybe admit that they don't necessarily know what they should be doing, which is not necessarily the case. When you talk to your boss, Hey, am I doing everything all right? Do you want to see anything else out of me? Your boss is going to love that. They're not going to think that you don't know what you're doing. You know, and a lot of times it's really simple stuff like, hey, we're having visitors. We like the office space to be clean. Okay, then clean your office, you know, clean your desk, make sure you look presentable. You know, if that's really important to your boss, then the next time they say we're having visitors, you should automatically know without being told, okay, everything needs to be tidied up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if your boss has certain statistics to meet, find out what they are. I mean, they may not share that exactly in detail with you, but if your boss has something that they need to accomplish, whether like in a law firm, they need everybody to reach certain billable hours or they need to see cases moving at a certain speed 
or again with sales, you know, certain monetary value of sales, find out exactly what your boss has to report or accomplish and help them meet those goals. I mean, you can't necessarily compensate for other people who are you know, dragging the team down, but is there something you can do to help move the team up? And again, that's kind of where I come in with my firm is, you know, I do what I need to do, but then I also try and help others. And I don't know if they're dragging or not. I don't really ask them where they're standing, but I do offer, hey, I've learned an efficient way to task my files. I've learned a faster way to review mail. If you guys want to learn about it, let me know and I'll come to your office and show you how to do it on the network. And that's just something that you know helps my manager reach her goals by helping everyone else reach their little mini goals within her overall goal. Okay, very good. So you are talking to folks about promotions and they want to get their promotions. And I'm guessing you're going to say it boils down to just a lot of these sorts of activities. If you do them and you're more likely to get promoted and don't do them and you're less likely to get promoted. Is there anything else you want to convey in the kind of progression game that you've learned? I think people don't document properly the praise that they receive throughout the year. And so if you have annual reviews or just sporadic reviews, people aren't necessarily prepared to fully fight for the raise, the promotion, the money. What I do is I have an email inbox. I title it every year, Praise 2015, Praise 2016. And each year I drag and drop into that folder all the praise I receive. So if I had a good trial result or an excellent settlement, our trial results are reported to management. So they might say, yes, good job, whatever. I save it. It doesn't matter if it's a really simple good job. I don't care. I put it into the praise. (laughs) If I have an amazing settlement, I sometimes flat out shamelessly share it with management. Hey, I just want to share this amazing thing that happened. And again, if they just say good job, whatever, I drag and drop it. If, you know, sometimes they'll send it to their managers and that kind of thing. Any praise I get on that chain, I send into that praise folder. I also try to encourage both with the clients and with the other people here, whether it's, again, my assistant or somebody who's helping me out on a file. I constantly send praise emails to management. And I just say, you know, this client really went the extra mile. I really appreciate what they did. You know, because of them, I was able to do X, Y, and Z. Hey, my assistant, she dropped everything and helped me today. It was a rush. I just couldn't control it. And I know she was really busy today, but she really came through. And I constantly praise people to management. Again, it keeps that positive rapport throughout the office. It also makes them more likely to praise you. Mm-hmm. So if somebody helped me, hey, I, you know, my kid was sick. I had to leave. I had a hearing in the afternoon and I couldn't go and pick up my kid. This person at the last minute agreed to take that hearing for me so I could go pick up my kid. That's a praise email. And then they'll remember, hey, Jolene jumped in and helped me with my thing. And they'll reciprocate instead of just it being between the two of us. It's now between us and management. And so again, I just drag and drop all those emails. And then when it comes to review time, I'm able to list, you know, I received praise from a really difficult client on this one case. I received these positive reviews from upper management on these trials. You know, my secretary praised me for, you know, whatever. And so it just adds to the list. And, you know, some of it might be kind of silly even, but I just throw it all in there you know, they can roll their eyes at it if they want to. That's up to them. But, you know, I do have obviously my good work deeds, but then I just throw in all the praise and I, that way I don't forget any praise. And if the praise is verbal, I will 
email it to myself. I will say this person said mm-hmm. on this day, yes. this thing. Yeah, it's completely ridiculous, but I never forget any praise. I just drag and drop it into the folder. And if I feel like I can use it in any way, I just throw it in there. And I leave it up to them to make that decision if, yeah, that's kind of silly, whatever. But, you know, I don't share those emails. I just list the things. I, cause yeah, it would be pretty silly to share my own email to myself. But you probably selectively quote them, I imagine, as you're compiling that. Like so-and-so was very pleased and said, wow, Jolene, you blew my mind or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, another reason to keep those emails is that, you know, if they ever did want proof of anything, I mean, a lot of times they are on half of those emails, but, you know, if they ever want to prove anything, I do have it. But yeah, I just more generally, at least for our company, I can just state these people praise me for this and that. But yeah, always keep any proof. Oh, that's so good. That's also reminded me of back in episode 23, Michael Kerr was talking about having a humor first aid kit. But now you also have a praise first aid kit. If you're like, no one appreciates me in this job and it sucks and Definitely, (laughs) you got to have your little humor box too, because, you know, people who've been around a while, they really do appreciate, oh, and, you know, people come and go and you say, oh, I remember that person. It's a lot of fun. It's, yeah, definitely the praise inbox and then the humor inbox as well. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Thank you. Well, now you tell me, is there anything you particularly share in terms of quick tips when it comes to giving and receiving mentorship? Specifically, when someone says, will you be my mentor? Or often more subtly, it's like, oh, hey, I'd love to bounce some things off of you from time to time. What are some key things in terms of do's and don'ts, both on the giving end and receiving end of mentorship? So definitely when you're asking for advice, um, first of all, make sure they're available. Ask if now is a good time or when would they be available? Also, even if the company kind of offers, hey, we'll have somebody handle that for you so you can see how it's done. Don't presume something like that. Ask, hey, I have this thing I need to do. I'm not sure if I'm ready to handle that or not. Can you look at it with me and help me? then they can offer. I can also do it for you, but I think you're ready. So here, let's talk about it. Because I have had people just try to dump it back on me. And I just, no, I absolutely, that is one thing I will not accept. I will spend a million hours helping you prepare for it. I'll go with you and watch to make sure you're doing something right. But if you just try to say, I'm not ready for this, you do it. No, 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 I will not do it. (laughs) So, and I've gone all the way up to management on that before just saying, I'm sorry, I don't accept that. And since I do have the reputation of a mentor, I've been able to get away with saying no. But yeah, so just definitely when you're on the asking end, you have to be very humble and make sure that you understand you're potentially wasting this person's time. So you need to cater to their time frame and their availability. And then as a mentor, it can be difficult when you're really busy, but really you need to have an open door policy. I mean, almost every time there are times where, you know, the day before a trial, you might just have to tell people no. But for most times in most companies, almost any day, you should be available and willing to share your expertise. And I think some people are afraid of saying, I don't know. And that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean you're not an expert in your field. It just means you don't know the answer to that question. So a mentor should never be afraid to say, I don't know. They should be willing to say, let me find out for you, or let's go over here and ask so-and-so. Maybe they'll know. It's never wrong to say, I don't know. It's definitely wrong to give a wrong answer. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Well, that's so good. Thank you. Well, will you tell me, mm-hmm. Jolene, is there anything in sort of this last minute here or so that you'd like to convey before we shift gears and, and talk about a few of your favorite things? I think that's about it. Just really know your job, know the job of those around you above and below. 
and try to help everybody out. The more you help out others, you really will be remembered in a positive light. And that really is a step in the right direction towards promotion and raises and things like that. Okay, well then let's kick it off. Could you tell us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? So going along, I love quotes, but going along these lines is one, it says, life is an echo. What you send out comes back. And how about a favorite book? I definitely think that people don't read enough fiction. A lot of people like the self-help stuff, which is great. For fiction, I love Dracula. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. Oh, fun. Thanks. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that's been really handy? You know, uh, totally different shifting gears. But a few years ago, I discovered essential oils. And that is something that my family, we use, and it has completely shifted our lives. I use it to de-stress when I'm overworked. And it really does help me focus again on my work. And then we also just use it kind of for allergies and like to boost our health. So I highly recommend checking out essential oils. And what is the best de-stressing oil in your opinion? There is one, it's a blend, it's called Serenity by doTERRA. And it's lavender mixed with like vanilla. And I literally have found where there are times where I can't make a decision. Do I work on my hearing for next week? my mail, my email, my voicemail. I I can't make a decision. I literally am stuck. And every time I make a decision, I then decide, no, that's the wrong decision. And my brain is just scattered. And so I have sniffed some of that. And all of a sudden I can just, no, I must prepare for that hearing. And then I can work on other things. And it's weird, but it really does work. So I've got to ask now, does that make you sleepy though? Because lavender is the same essential (laughs) oil they'll recommend right before bedtime. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be sleepy. I just want to be de-stressed and focused. So can I have my cake and eat it too? Or what's the story here? Absolutely. It's just a relaxer. So, you know, unlike a sleep medicine or something like that, you can use it at nighttime. It won't conk you out, but it'll help you relax enough to sleep. And the same thing, it'll relax you enough to slow your wheels in your brain and focus on what you need to do. Okay. I've got one more. If I'm sleepy in the middle of the Mm -hmm. workday and I don't want to be, do you have an oil for that too? Yeah, definitely. Peppermint's a good one to wake you up. I love the combination of peppermint and orange. It's really uplifting, the combo. Very good. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. And what would you say are some favorite tools other than essential oils that also (laughs) are pretty helpful for you? I have recently been using an app called Overdrive, which is basically your local library, whether it's, you know, LA Public Library or whatever, And you can check out any books you want on your Kindle, your phone, whatever. And it is great because I have a tendency to not return my books on time. So this automatically returns the books in 21 days. So you can just read anything you want and you can return it manually or it'll do it for you. But literally the whole library is open to you. Oh, thank you. And would you say you have a favorite little nugget or tidbit that when you share, folks really seem to nod their heads and take notes and take it to heart in your mentoring conversations? There are a couple of key, I would say more theories, I guess, or different pieces of advice that have been more popular than others, I would say. You know, aside from like what I do actually at my work, outside of my work, I have given many people advice on whether or not they should go to law school at all and whether they're choosing the right law school for them. And a lot of people fail to really take the time to address that when you're going to spend about (laughs) $200,000. It's amazing how little thought people have before they go to law school. They just think, well, I want a higher level career and I want 
something prestigious and I, you know, I want to make good money and I, I kind of interested in law. And, and so I, you know, I, I want to help others. And so they just think I'm going to go to law school and they don't really think about all the factors that go into it. And so I've actually helped quite a few people with that decision. So that's something I've done outside of work. That's been interesting because people really are taken aback by some of the advice that I give them on that. <laughs> so. Oh, interesting. And if folks want to learn more about you or get in touch, where would you point them? I'm on Twitter. I think that's a good place to find me. On Twitter, I'm Jolene and Oils. And then I'm also on Pinterest. I love Pinterest. I'm Jolene1209. Or if anybody ever want to email me, if they had need of advice, I'm totally open to that. My email address is abetterlife05 at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. And do you have a favorite challenge or call to action that you'd issue forth to folks seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I would say practice selflessness. Just stop thinking about what you need to do to get ahead. Start looking around at who needs help and help them. If you help others, they're going to help you. Okay. Well, Jolene, thanks so much and good luck to you. This has been fun. Thank you so much. I hope that many, many praise folders are being started or revisited to have a little pick me up if you've already got that going on. So make sure you don't lose that good stuff. And if you don't want to lose any of the good stuff you heard about from Jolene, you can find the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items mentioned over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep84. And I hope if you haven't already, you'll punch the subscribe button so you won't miss hearing from folks like our next guest, Prescott Perez Fox. He's got all kinds of fun tips for staying creative and in a good groove associated with your productivity and churning stuff out. So hope you'll join us then. And until next time, peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 